Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, February the 11th in 2022 on When I Rise. Today we come to the end of year C and the sixth Sunday of Epiphany. And on the Friday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the gospel passage from this week in the Revised Common Lectionary. And so we still find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke, the longest of the four Gospels. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. So let me read that passage. We've got a couple points for reflection and spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they were troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have only your only happiness now? What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for you will be laughing, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. This is a word of God for us. We're looking at the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels of Jesus in the New Testament. We compare these parallel passages that we find in different Gospels and we can see some things that are similar, some things that are unique in the different Gospel tellings. And we see it quite clearly here in Luke chapter 6. And so this is the major section of Luke uh, from Luke 6.17 through 9.6, which is the ministry of the choosing of the twelve and then the sending of the twelve. So he chose his disciples in an earlier passage, just right before this. And there's like a teaching and a training, uh, expectation building in the apostles up until chapter 9 when he sends them out to do ministry on their own. You'll notice that when you listen to this passage, read this passage, that this is similar to what you see, you and I see at the beginning of the, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so that's a comparison and a contrast as well. So in Matthew 5 through 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is uh, around the sea and he's preaching from mountainside down to a group of hearers. It's directly to the disciples, but it is just understood that other people are around eavesdropping on that conversation. But here in Luke's gospel, it's on a plain place, and he might be speaking up uh, towards people instead of down towards them. And uh, the scholars suggest that's because uh, Matthew and Luke have different aims. You'll also notice that uh, the Beatitudes section in Matthew is longer than this one. Uh, Luke only gives four parallels of 
blessing and woes for the Beatitudes, where Matthew has nine uh, to start out the Sermon on the Mount. You'll notice that Jesus directs, directly addresses people by saying you in Luke's gospel, but it's more of a general statement in Matthew's gospel. Jesus doesn't say you either in the first person or second person in the Sermon on the Mount until after the Beatitudes. And so we have some interesting things going on here. There's a comparing and there's a contrasting. So what do we do with all of this? I think what we could say is, what we what we know is that in the interpretive history of the church, uh, there has been this interesting dilemma about what to do with the Gospels. We have these four canonical Gospels uh, very early on in the Church Fathers period of the early church. They recognized these four as the four canonical Gospels. There was an attempt by a guy named Tatian to uh, take the four Gospels and to try to mash them into one mega gospel, but it was rejected by the church. They wanted these four voices to be in unison in that they told the story of Jesus, but also separate uh, because they all had their different traditions where they came from. And so what can we say about Luke's gospel in particular? Well, Luke is training up his followers here, and you'll notice that Jesus is once again preaching from a flat place up, and there's probably people on a hillside above him. And that was typical for um a Greco-Roman audience, when someone taught in either schools or in public lectures, it was just understood that they would stand on this the, the most uh, the deepest place of an amphitheater, an auditorium. They would speak up, not just for acoustics, but perhaps also for the posture in which a person takes when they teach. Uh, the, the teacher is lowly and humble of heart and understanding that they need to win uh, the hearing and the approval and the affirmation of those who are in the audience. And so when Jesus is preaching here, he does have authority and he does speak truth. He doesn't mince words in this very short rendition of his sermon on the plain, they call it in Luke chapter six. But Jesus is also, he's winning people over to his perspective, not least his disciples that he has chosen. I mean, he's going to ask them to do a tough task here in chapter 9 and chapter 10. He's going to send them out. First, he's going to send out the 12 in chapter 9. He's going to send out 70, two by two, or 72 others in Luke chapter 10. And so what I appreciate about it is that Jesus is presenting a way and he's giving people the opportunity to choose to opt in or to opt out. Jesus is not preaching from a place of entitlement. People just, he doesn't, he doesn't feel entitled that people should just follow him because it's, he claims to be the son of God. Jesus has an entrepreneurial posture here. He's winning people over to his side. He's presenting an opportunity and he's giving people a chance to follow him. I think this is necessary for us in the modern church. I think that what we see in the American church in particular over the last hundred years, that church has gone from center to fringe. The, the way of Jesus is just one of many options that a person could seek, uh, could take as they try to pick out a spiritual pathway. And so I think what our opportunity is, is to model before people a way of life that is compelling, that um, that is provocative. And so as people check it out and as people investigate it on their own, when they opt in, they probably opt in at a greater depth of commitment than they would if they felt obligated to do so. Because at the end of the day, the, the brightest, sunniest day of entitlement uh, leads only to obligation and doesn't lead to fidelity and love. And so I just love the way that Dallas Willard uh, talked about it in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, the book and the workbook is on my desk right here just to my left because I'm trying to organize material for a group to go through it. But he makes a critical observation 
in chapter two of the divine conspiracy. He says, unfortunately, the majority, the most common quote unquote gospel that we hear in American church is the gospel of sin management. We're asking Jesus merely to manage our sins. He says, but Jesus offers us way more than that. Jesus needs to be our teacher. So he he has this, like this question that he leads to is, is your gospel big enough uh, to have Jesus as your teacher? That's the opportunity that we have today. Do you want Jesus to teach you a better way, a more faithful and deep way of life? So hopefully we can grapple and wrestle with that question as we pray before God, as our soul rises to meet him, and as we begin to think about our day in front of us. So with that in mind, let's spend some time praying together this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the invitation today to follow Jesus. Of course, we trust you as our Savior. We also seek to follow you. We thank you that, Jesus, you're a teacher, you're a healer, you modeled a way, you spoke of a way. We thank you that we have found that ancient path. Um, We thank you that even though it's a a narrow gate and a narrow road with thousands of temptations to deviate from it, we thank you that because of your grace, you give us the power and the desire to follow you. We... um, As the psalmist has said, we delight the beauty of your holiness. We don't just think that you are the wisest person. We've come to know that you are the loveliest being that we could ever have conceived. And so we embrace you today with our minds, with our hearts, with our desires. So God, we pray that the intentions of our day, the things that we're going to do today, the things that we're planning on doing, the things that will catch us off guard today, I pray that you'd help us, that we'd hear your voice and follow you so that we would be pleased with our life and that you'd be pleased with our life as we get to the end of this day. So Father, be with us. Help us to see Jesus in all that we do. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.